Deep and meaningful conversations to connect, find calm, feel empowered and uncover clarity. Welcome to the Death Dying Diagnosis and Doulas podcast. Hi, we've got a great guest today, Libby Maloney from Natural Grace Holistic Funerals based in Victoria. Welcome, Libby. Thank you, Julie. So beautiful to see you again. One of my very, very special friends and guests. So it's so good to be able to see you. Um, I've got great conversation today that we're going to have about the beautiful, beautiful work that Libby and her team do with babies and children and the families. And uh, I just know that everybody's going to love this conversation. So Libby, first up, could you explain what the Holistic Funeral Director is? So it's a really important question, Julie, because holistic approach to anything is about the whole person in their whole context on their whole journey. So when you think about being cared for medically, holistically, you don't need to just work out why your elbow's sore. You need to know, did that person play tennis? You know, what what else do they do? Have they had an injury in the past? Is there something that has caused that? unknown injury to be relevant now so we look at holistic care in funerals in the same way it's about saying who is this family who's the person that died what were the principles of their life what were the things that made them laugh what were the things that made them cry who were their people you know families are big and blended and complex and interesting now so who they belong with and to needs to be really deeply considered where do they live what did they love? What job did they do? Were they, you know, and when we're talking about children and babies, what would have been their story? Yeah. So to care for someone holistically is to consider them in their whole context, not to make them fit into a predetermined template of care or, or ceremony type or venue that is convenient. Yeah. It's a much more deeper, broader and complex approach to care than than just saying, you know, put you in a box and take you to mm. church or the hall or whatever. Yeah, that's yeah. beautiful. That's such a gorgeous yeah. explanation. I love that. Now, now I know that you're really well known in, in your area for the, the absolutely beautiful work that you do do with babies and children. So, Libby, how did that start? Like, how did you find yourself working a lot with families of babies and children that had died? It came from a couple of places. One is funeral care is notoriously, sorry, but daggy. It's really daggy. The architecture or the aesthetics of funeral care is very, you know, salmon pink velvet curtains and dark and depressing. And, yeah, there's still a lot of taste and aesthetics around funeral care that doesn't meet what young people need. If you're at your childbearing age, you're young, you know, mm. and, and young parents are groovy and they like colour and they like they're conscious of the environment and they want natural things for their babies and what we saw in the marketplace was that infant care was being sort of shoehorned quite frankly into an adult model um traditionally funeral directors often don't even don't even charge for babies to be cared for you know and it's a lovely gesture but what it means is that infant care needs to slot into the adult model mm. because if you're not charging for something, if you're not investing in, in a particular approach, then you can accommodate it, but it needs to fit in. 
And we saw that none of that was working for young people, that they wanted their babies to be in beautiful wicker baskets, that they wanted bamboo wraps for them, that they wanted to go into into nature, into the park or into their family home to hold funerals, that they were looking for a funeral company that would provide them with, with much more authentic choice. So we felt that we were really well placed to do that. Our approach in general is, well, Absolutely, natural growth is, is steeped in absolute foundations, unquestionable foundations of environmental responsibility. So that that was already in place. So our existing model really already met that. We've got really groovy architecture. <laughs> and we found that our taste and our approach and our style was already a really natural fit with young parents. I also, Julie, am a baby whisperer. I adore newborn babies. And it turns out that I seem to be able to have a really beautiful connection with a baby even when they've died. Yeah. And as an older mother, being able to model to young mums, especially first-time mums, that they can still mother even if their baby has died makes me cry. Such, it's, it's such a, really a beautiful lovely. thing. Mm. Yeah. It's just a lovely thing to be able to do. So what we do is we hold vigils for babies and the mums and dads and mums and mums and, and dads and dads and every combination of parent comes to the sanctuary and, and to be with their baby and sometimes they come just the parents and sometimes they come with other children if there's other children in the family and grandparents and best mates and all sorts of people but often just mum, the, just the parents and they will hold space with their baby. And for some people, that's giving the baby a bath and getting them in a special outfit. Some people, it's just having a go at that swaddly thing, you know, where you wrap yeah. them all in. And just having a go at that. For some, mm. it's just changing a nappy and having a go at that. And for some, it's gifting the baby things that they would otherwise have been gifted if they were being welcomed into the family as a living baby. Um Sometimes parents just really take a lot of time just to tuck their baby into the little, we use little wicker baskets as our coffins for babies and they'll tuck them in and they'll put all sorts of stuff in there with them and flowers and little gifts. But I think possibly the most rewarding, I don't know, special, amazing time was in our vigil room. We usually take it out, but this day I somehow, for whatever reason, had left a TV in the room, which we often use for showing photos and things. And and I came back into the room and this dad, who was a big blokey bloke, and he had his newborn but not alive baby lying on his chest like, you know, you do with babies, how they do that when yeah. they go sleep on your thing. And dad had put the footy on the telly. Yeah. And he and his boy were watching the footy. Wow. That's oh, just so beautiful. Oh, yeah. my you know, and mum was just there. She was fussing with the bits and pieces that she wanted and mm. the dad and the little boy were watching the footy. Because it's also creating memories. Like, the, you know, mm. I think back to, again, because I'm an old girl, but years ago, you know, people were told, oh, well, just forget about that and go and have mm. another one. And I can't think of saying anything worse to somebody than that. What's yeah. your opinion on that? Oh, look, the, 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 the sort of the evidence is overwhelmingly 
shown that that was a bad decision. All these things would come from good intention and that somehow you were protecting the mother by denying her, you know, that access. And it's been overwhelmingly proven to be have been a very bad idea. Yep. And, and hospitals are now really very, very, very good at the care they provide in the bereavement space. And and many families come to us, Julie, and they don't need us to provide any more care because they've had such good care from That's the fabulous. in mm. the hospitals. So the improvement in that is is as bad as that was. We've kind of gone, you know, the other way of, Full circle. of totally making sure that that's, that's been attended to. And um, the invention of the cuddle cot has been a big part of that. So, that's so what's that, Libby? Explain that. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a that's a, a, a cooling system. It's a little tiny mat that cold water is pumped through and that mat lies across the baby's body and then the baby gets all wrapped up and it keeps the baby's body cool because, as we know, when someone dies, we need to keep their body cold. It keeps the baby's body cold and still allows the parents to keep the baby with them yeah. in the hospital room or take the baby home and still protect the baby's body but also allow mum and mum and dad parents to hold and cuddle and be connected. Yeah. So it's been a, a wonderful invention for for making the maintaining the bonds of of parents with their baby until they're ready mm. to separate that and that can be a couple of hours for some families and it can be a couple of, up to a couple of days for some families before they're ready to separate from their baby. Not that anyone's ever ready but there is an instinct behaviour that says, I can tell that my baby needs to rest now and needs to go back to nature. The body needs to go back to nature. And somewhere, usually in about three days, parents will go, it's okay, it's time now. So the cuddle cot has allowed that to be a safe practice where their baby's body stays cool. Some, for some people, that only happens in hospital. Yeah, it's been really good, mm. really good progress. And if anybody listening to this podcast and they know their hospital does not have it, then there are excellent charities that allow for it. And the best place to start is the Bears of Hope website, and they've got sponsored units ready to go at all times to place in hospitals. And then for children, the same thing can happen. There's there's, there's a, a next size up, and generally for children, they can be cared for in the family home if the child dies at home, but also if you look at our beautiful hospices that we've got around Australia. So at the moment, there's uh, very special kids in Melbourne. There's Bear Cottage in Sydney. There's Hummingbird House in Queensland, in Brisbane, and there's Hannah's House, I believe it's called, in Perth, where there's beautiful hospice accommodation for after-death care for children. And if those families wanted to take their child home from a hospice or a hospital, they can Mm -hmm. do that? Absolutely, yep. It's safe. It's legal. It needs to be supported and planned for, and you need a good person to help you do that. And that's where the Willow Tree Foundation was is the the sort of not-for-profit organisation that we've founded um, alongside some other colleagues to really make sure that those the information about that is broadly available to everyone. Because we're Victorian-based, it's very easy for us to support that practice. But in order to make sure everyone around Australia can have access to that care, then we need to share that information more broadly. So we do that through the Willow Tree Foundation. Yeah, because that was one of the big questions I wanted to ask you was about Willow Tree and because I've heard, heard you speak of it, but I didn't know exactly why it was set up. That was the main reason or are there other reasons yeah, Willow yeah, Tree exists? No, a couple of reasons. One was mostly is to share information 
and to make sure because we specialise in this care, we've, we've got really good at it. In fact, right now I'm in the family home of, of a family whose child has died and um, we're in such a big conversation that when you rang and said, Libby, you're late, <laughs> they went, no, go, go. Like, you know, we've got, a, yeah. we've got this beautiful relationship but I've spent so much time with this yeah. family and it's been nothing but an absolute pleasure despite the heartbreak and what it does is build up a relationship whereby you can stop and do a podcast with your mate. Yeah. So I'm, I'm here with them and they asked for us to care for their child because of our reputation here that we are really, quite frankly, we're really good at it. And so then what happens is people around the country ring up and say, I've heard, you know, who does this in Brisbane or who does this in, and that's not to cast any aspersion whatsoever on other funeral directors. It's not. Sure. It's a specialty, you know, and it's a specialty that we're willing to share. So being sure that we had a, a sort of, in a way, a neutral kind of body, like a separate entity to share that through so that um, everyone could access that information and feel comfortable using it was important. There's an aspect of the willow tree that does assist families who are suffering or enduring financial distress, but that's a less of an issue. Everyone gets the same care. Some people can pay for it and that helps other people you know, contribute to the pot for other people. And some families do need some support, financial support. Often at the end of a very long-term caring situation, families are very financially distressed. That they've, you know, often parent one gave up work a long time ago to look after a sick child. And then in the more recent months before the child dies, the other parent has often given up work in order to spend time with the child. So often the financial impact is really significant. And children's funerals, can cost twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, not not because anybody's being ridiculously extravagant, but because lots of people come, mm. you know, and family needs lots of time, yeah. lots of vigil opportunities, lots of time to create ceremony, multiple, multiple, multiple meetings. Yeah, because the bereaved parent can only bite off so much time. Sure. So children's funerals are actually really expensive. Yeah, you need big venues to hold big numbers of people because little people know lots of people. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like yeah. um, the catering's expensive. Yeah, so yeah. we're committed at the Willow Tree to making sure that every family has access to the same, you know, the experience that they want, irrespective of their capacity to pay. Yeah, and the third reason, Julie, was in the old days, back I don't even know, forever or long ago. There was skanky behaviour where there was a kickback system that that um, that w- what we think happened was that people in hospitals or places would refer families to certain funeral directors and then they'd get a kickback for mm. it. And what 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 this is this is the Libby version of this historical sure. situation, but I think it's what happened. And then I think what happened is eventually, as as sort of ethics and practices improved in in health settings in particular. All hospitals or any health worker now cannot refer a funeral director to a family yeah. as, as a response to what I believe is for that behaviour. And whilst that is ethically correct, it, you know, you shouldn't influence a decision, what we found in rounds of babies and children was that that was also applied and we felt that um, it wasn't fair when a, fam- when a family's been so well supported by their health team to then not be referred to the right funeral director as part of their care team felt like it was letting the side down, mm. that 
that the family had become dependent on those referrals and they knew that their social worker or their pastoral care or their doctor or their nurse or whoever knew them so well that they would be able to help with these decisions. So we felt that if we put the information in a not-for-profit into a charitable, neutral organisation, that the hospitals, the um, coroners, that other stakeholders would feel more comfortable referring to a neutral body. Yeah. You know, one day I think it would be good to see that that wasn't necessary, but it would not yeah. be yet. The Death, Dying, Diagnosis and Doulas podcast. Empowerment through conversation, connection through understanding. This is the Death, Dying, Diagnosis and Doulas podcast. I mean, it's such a, it's just such an important conversation, you know, because there's people that, that have got children at the moment that they know have a, a terminal illness, life-limiting, and are probably not wanting to think about what happens when they die, but knowing that they're going to. So I suppose I'm thinking, so if that was me, what tools would I need now before my child has died so that I can prepare and have the the funeral or the you know the the celebration whatever word you want to use of my choice so what sort of questions would parents ask and what sort of information could they gather do you think so that they can figure out what they even want to do because I'm just imagining that the high level of overwhelm and not being able to pick your way through all this information like where can you get you know, the type of options and the choices that you actually have. Like any big occasion in our lives, we need to plan. And and we know that if we if we plan for something or, or consider the elements of something, then whatever that occasion might be, it, it's less stressful. So we wouldn't work out a, a wedding in three days. Mm. We wouldn't work out a birthday party in three days, really. I might work out to go out for dinner, but that would be about it, you know. So heartbreakingly, the reality is for many, many families, at some stage, they're going to need to arrange for the funeral of their child. And being so brave as to consider starting a conversation about that ahead of time is an incredible testament to the extraordinary constitution of of parents with a child with a life-limiting illness. Yeah. But they 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 are heroes. They are absolute heroes. Absolutely, and what they're capable of is is amazing. Mm. So there is good information available, and the willow tree is relatively new, and we're slowly adding to our resource fact sheet kit, and those are available on on our website, thewillowtree.org.au. There's a very distinct conversation difference between families who have what we call an expected death, yeah, and families who are bereaved suddenly. But if we stick for a moment in an expected situation, the pastoral care team or the social work team or what's often called a family support worker in nearly all of those settings are really well versed in different choices and styles around how funerals can be. And some families have a spiritual guide in their life. They might have a family priest or a minister or or, or some person that assists them with navigating those things. Just even starting to have a conversation about that is good. The really tricky ones, Julie, are considering about the care of your child's body and deciding whether to bury or cremate the body of a child is something 
no one really can possibly understand unless you've had to yeah. walk that mm. journey. So if it's at all possible to bite that one off and to have a think about that one, that's a big one because if that's not clear to you, trying to make it clear in a very short period of time between when a child dies and when it's necessary to to return their body to nature by way of cremation or burial, it's a good one to have considered ahead of time. Yeah, yeah I understand. Things like, you know, where your child is, you know, the, the last days of their life are to be, whether you mm. they you would then want to be home, whether they whether hospice is the right place, and we are blessed with good children's hospices or hospital. Some families really need to know that they can keep their child with them. That's a really important piece mm. of information, even if it's to choose not to. Yep. You know, it's okay. But to know that you can, that you don't have to walk away from your child within a couple of hours of them dying, that's a bit more complex when the death, death is sudden. Yeah. Um, and that might be another conversation that we can have uh, on another occasion because there's a big conversation that's missing around the support of parents when a child dies suddenly. Yeah. Because they're not already in the support network of the Royal Children's yeah. or the hummingbird house or whatever. So they're, mm. they're sort of in, in a split second of a road accident or an asthma attack or a, or whatever, they're, they're all of a sudden in that world yeah. with no no prior support. Considering things, just knowing some facts like you don't have to have a funeral. Mm. That's not something you have to do. You could have, you could have a little tiny private family gathering and have a memorial service later. There's no law that says you have to have a funeral. Things like a member of your family can be the celebrant at a funeral. You don't have to have a celebrant. Often with children, we do use a professional celebrant because of the emotional yeah. weight and responsibility, but you don't have to. Um, that children, that, that things like natural burial are an option where where a, a grave can be dug to a really shallow sort of psychologically safe depth, not the big deep mm -hmm. graves, um, that your child does not need to go in a coffin at all. A, a lot of a lot of a fear with adults and parents is around the idea of a child in a coffin. So mm -hmm. there is such a thing as shrouded cremation and shrouded burial. Now, that's not available everywhere, but it's increasingly available, and that means that you don't need to use a coffin. Mm -hmm. Things like what music you'd like to play. One thing that takes a lot of time, Julie, is putting photos together. Yeah. How do you condense a child's life into a limited number of photos? It's just cruel to have to consider it, but it mm. does need, you know, if photos are important, then it can be something to start to think about. Yeah, there's so much. So there's some ideas anyway around all the different things. Do you live remotely or regionally? Do you feel isolated and confused about the way forward when thinking about what next? Maybe you've had a recent diagnosis or you're entering the final stage of your life. Today's technology means we can help you wherever you live. So reach out now to doulaconnections.com.au. I mean, this is going to sound like a really difficult question, I think, but because I know that you would normally come onto the scene after somebody's died, not before. But I'm wondering about ages of children and, you know, at what age do parents really talk? to funerals about their kids or what would you want? Like, have you ever heard of any families that have involved their children, their older children in, in these sort of discussions or is it just a no-go zone normally? 
No, absolutely. People people mostly do now. They do. Yeah. Right. Yeah, which is great. Yeah. As human beings, we protect the next one down the line, yeah. you know. Yeah. And we feel that sometimes we're protecting children. But that in this current generation of parents, that seems to have, have gone. Mm-hmm. And certainly children come to funerals. They're asked how they would like to be involved. They're offered to be, you know, to speak if they're old enough to speak or to be a pallbearer. They're engaged in the conversation. We we really, really, really highly recommend that families do have these conversations before a child or young person dies. Mm-hmm. And so that's a good opportunity also then to involve their siblings um, mm-hmm. before. And the more that happens before, the more comfortable they are by the time we actually get there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's lots of opportunity, and and sort of really following the the, the cues that their child or young person is giving. So it might be that we meet with the family, and the, the say the young teenagers are sitting at the table, and they're part of the conversation, mm. and then for whatever reason they've had enough. Mm. And they go and they start fiddling with their phone or they just sort of, you know, and it's like there's no have-tos. Yeah. They want to be part of it, good. If they don't, that's absolutely fine too. Yeah. And just being really tuned in to what those young people uh, or children are, are telling us. Um, but, yeah, the, all the advice, all the psychological advice, all the emotional advice from all the specialists is that, that children and young people are engaged in death care as much as they are comfortable with. Yeah, fair, yeah. fair enough. Mm. Yeah, okay, I love that. So, Libby, I'm, I'm just thinking about babies that have died you know, say it's you know, six, seven, eight months gestation. Again, it, to me, just as traumatic as any death of a child regardless. What would you say in terms of, you know, those babies that have died in that sort of last trimester and, and newborn babies? I've heard you talk about how important it is to really communicate with the family about where, where the baby is, etc. So can you talk more about that? Mm, mm. I think one of the possibly the most humbling parts of our work is being trusted by another parent to care for their baby. Yeah. And so one of the most important things that we think that comes with that responsibility is advising the parents at all times where their baby is. Yeah. So often we will come, so the baby's been delivered in, say, a delivery suite at the hospital and um, and the parents often will have had a day or so with the baby and then they'll ring and they'll say, we're ready for you to come now. Yeah. And so we'll go in and we'll meet with the, with the parents and we will really gently just take the, the baby into our care and that, that usually is a inviting them to wrap the swaddle yeah. their baby, inviting them to place the baby in the little carrier, little special um, baby carrier that we use. Often the, the parents will come to the car with us, like they'll walk their baby out. But there's something really humbling about being said, essentially, can you please take care of my baby? Yeah, it's big. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 it is an incredible privilege. So the second we set foot back into our sanctuary, we ring those parents and we say, your baby is off the road, safely tucked up in our care here now. Yeah. And we started doing that as a way of just sensible. To us, it just felt like if it was my baby, I'd want to know where they are. Mm. You know, like it's always, have they got back there safely? You know, was there an accident on the way? I'd, yeah. I'd want to know. 
And what we've learned over the time is how accurate that is. Mm. And, and parents will often say to me, oh, thank you for telling us that. We didn't know we needed to know that. Yeah. Yeah. So the respect, especially it's quite extraordinary, Julie, how many of the babies we care for are first babies. Yeah. I really don't know what that's about. But so if you've not parented before, there's some things you don't even know you know you mm. need. Yeah. So um, right from the start, we, we, we're, we're engaging with the parents on a care level that respects them with their authority and, and as the parent of this child. Mm. And even things like them signing the forms that they need to sign, we generally don't pre-fill them because it's, a, it's an opportunity for the parent to write their child's name. Yeah. Which, yep. You know, they won't get too many times in the future. Yep. So just little little tiny touches that just honour and recognise the parent in their rightful place. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and there's, yeah. I mean, I know it's detail, but it's important detail that has a, an emotional impact and an effect. And I, I yeah. just love listening to you talk about what you do. You know, I think it's just beautiful. I love talking to you too. You ask amazing questions. but. <laughs> It also gives me a moment when I sit with you in these sessions to reflect. You know how closely we all hold our own babies. I mean, gosh, mm. you're like, step back, they're mine. Yeah. <laughs> and so to say to someone else, I trust you, mm. and every now and then someone will even say, go to Auntie Libby, and I just like, I just, I mean, gobsmacked by yeah. the trust. And then this was hard work for me. It's not, it's not particularly commercially viable. It's, it's, a, it's a gift that we give, there are we there are fees that are charged. We we don't do our infant work complimentary because it's not possible to do it on the scale we do without charging fees. Yeah. Um, and the young parents are totally fine with that. They don't they don't want to be given something for free if it's not what they want. Yeah. Yeah. So they are um, comfortable with our fee schedule. We keep our fees as modest as we can. But of course, young people talk. And social yep. media is really strong and influential and so we're quite busy. We're mm-hmm. quite busy with the numbers of babies that we look after. We have been sort of recognised amongst other excellent carers, of course, other other companies that do beautiful infant work, but we have been recognised as, as having a particular approach. Yeah. And so then I needed more people uh, yeah. to help me, you know, in that field. And, and now our team is led by the very beautiful Benita Ralph, and um, if you ever get a chance to talk to her, get her on. Okay. She's, she's extraordinary. Her insight into parent grief and bereavement. Yeah. And she's young and groovy herself. Her, her <laughs> children are younger than, than my children. So she, she develops a beautiful connection to yeah. her, her parents. Um, so they're in exceptionally good care with her. Our other infant care is Melinda Wyman, and, and she's just got this earth mother, beautiful mm calm, beautiful way that the families, again, feel really safe with. Nice. Actually, I will invite them on, so thank you for that. Yeah. All right, yeah. Lydia, look, yeah. thank you so yeah. much. We, we're sort of nearly out of time, and as you know, yeah. I'll probably every single series I have, I, I would love to invite you back. Now, just before we leave, I know you've got a beautiful book that's available on your website that people can download for free, I believe. So can you give us a little bit of detail about that? It's a book that sort of summarises you know, our approach to to the care of a baby. It's called Holding You, Holding Your Child. 
and it's a it's a our way of sort of in a way through beautiful pictures and everything showing families the things that they can start to think about and how things can go you know for them it's there to be looked at naturalgrace.com.au just go to our infant section and a lot of the things that are raised in that are pertinent for children not it's a baby book that particular one it's relevant for children as well and for adults for that matter all the issues the things that it covers yeah but what we have found people have felt really acknowledged through that book that it's been a, a book that's resonated with him the beautiful beautiful man who designed it for us his brother died as a baby as an infant and and was one of the children the babies that was taken away from his mother and she never got to see him so we actually did that book to her now oh, that's beautiful beautiful legacy thank you libby i'll let you get back to your beautiful family that you're with so i appreciate your time today and thank you we hope you found this conversation and information interesting helpful and empowering with the death dying diagnosis and doulas podcast help us empower others by rating and reviewing us wherever you listen 